um, this, this idea of expertise that we have to have the answers. When the answers are malleable, they change. We should change our minds all the time. We should propose things. We should have conversations without being dug into our convictions. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn, and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hello, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I am your host, Luca Parry, and today it's my delight to be speaking with Dr. Benjamin Freud. Benjamin is an educator and a scholar who is the leader of learning and teaching at Premtin Sulanonda International School in Chiang Mai, Thailand. He's also the host and co-founder of Coconut Thinking and the Coconut Thinking Podcast. After consulting in Silicon Valley with internet startups in the 1990s, he changed tact and really became obsessed with a new outlook on education, innovation, and entrepreneurialism. Since then, he's worked in many schools around the world as a teacher and leader from very diverse places like Hong Kong, Saudi Arabia, the United States, and now in Thailand. As you'll hear, Benjamin has a, a, a really astute understanding of progressive education with a deep interest on the lived curriculum. What, do, what does a classroom actually look like? What can we create together with learners, as educators, as parents, and as leaders? Benjamin, I must say, is one of the most well-read people I have ever interviewed. He holds three master's degrees, a master of science, master of arts, and an MBA, and also a PhD in history from the National University of Singapore, this conversation is part one of a two-part conversation that we have with a second interview being held on Benjamin's podcast, Coconut Thinking. Uh, I really encourage you to go and check that out because as you can tell, some of the ideas we explore, we just kept going. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the Learning Future podcast. Benjamin, it's a delight to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've uh, listened to your podcast and I've been really inspired by you and, and the guests there and the level of conversation that you have. Uh, I'm so excited for our conversation today. Uh, I mean, we got carried away before we started recording and just started having a wonderful conversation then too. Um, I'd love us, you know, this is all about learning. And so tell us what's something that you've learned recently. That's a good question. And I guess this idea of learned uh, involves and entails some kind of finality to it. And I think mm. from my point of view, it's more about what am I learning? And the reason I say this is because when we learn and there's a finality, we, we, maybe we stop asking questions. And I don't know if there's any point in learning anything if it doesn't lead us to more questions. So some of the things that I've been really into lately have been these um, things that are way above my head, <laughs> which is really about uh, uh, the, the connections of of of. Uh, of Quantum physics, and, and I mean it at, a, at the most layman levels, uh, basic mm -hmm. intro, popular quantum physics, but, but it's really opened my mind in terms of uh, how it relates to consciousness, how it relates to learning, and how we exist um, as both parts and systems onto ourselves, mm -hmm. and how um, we, we need to start thinking perhaps about ourselves as individuals, yes, but and, and we are systems, we have, you know, bodily functions, cells, mm -hmm. digestive systems, but we're also part of a greater system, which is our community, humanity, part of the living world, part of the universe. And so mm -hmm. this makes us think that um, from that point of view, you know, there's a whole different way of seeing ourselves at our position in the world. 
And so uh, I'm still asking questions about that. So I haven't learned anything. I'm still learning. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's so great. Oh my goodness. Where do we go from here? Um, so I'm really, I love this framing that, uh, that I've kind of, I've heard a few times and you talk about this idea of the bio-collective because we live in this world where, you know, we want to be like human-centered design and design thinking. You know, we want to focus on humans. But it seems to me as well that that also is limiting our ability to solve problems and to ask the right questions. So, you know, you talk at Coconut Thinking and for your work on you know, the idea of the bio-collective, which I think is such a great framing because then it's about not just us, not just us as a species, but actually where we fit in the kind of ecology. Um, take us into, into that world a bit. Just follow this thread because, um, and if we have to go into the, the, the fields of quantum physics, we can um, as laymen both. But yeah, what, what's some of the big ideas that are really inspiring you and exciting you at the moment? So no, nothing that I say is actually new, and it and, you know it's it's probably traditional wisdoms, ancient wisdoms of the Tao. So it it all it all comes comes together. And it's yeah. a great book by Jeremy Lent called The Web of Meaning, uh, which which really brings that together. And it's really it's it's just come out, but it's really moved my thinking quite a bit. And it's 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 really also going back to Arthur Kersler, who wrote a book called Ghost in the Machine. It talks about mm. something called the holarchy, which is exactly that this idea that um, we are both parts and systems onto ourselves. So there's a lot of talk. This It's, it's a very humanist uh, way of thinking. So humanism came out after um, the Middle Ages when we started to, uh, the scientific revolution got us to question whether or not God existed, whether or not he solved problems, whether or not we could explain the world outside of God. And science started taking this, this idea that, uh, that we could replicate experiments and we could um, explain the world through scientific processes. Which is fantastic, and and, and you know, is certainly um, uh, evolution. And I worry about that word evolution because it's so value um, mm. uh, heavy. Yeah, yeah. So 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 I'm going to use it with with caution. But but it, it takes us away from this idea of God being at the center and having maybe science at the center. Um, and and science, in a way, becomes our new God. But but even moving beyond that, this idea that humanism comes from this uh, notion from Descartes that we are really different from everyone else in, in the living world because we have this cognitive processes, because we are able to reason, because we have uh, intention. And, and so this, this dualism between mind and body started to create this, um, this, this um, uh, glorification, this idealization of reason and, and, and making mm. it like it's, it's the most important thing. So, so this has made humans um, uh, really seeing themselves at the center of, of, of the universe. And you can see in, in so many of the uh, enlightenment thinkers that you know, humans are, are the most important. So it is our job to dominate nature, to transform yeah. nature, to, 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 to make na nature bend. And I think Bacon even said, you know, it's, it's, we should conquer nature. I mean, he said that. Yeah. So, so humanism, you know, seeing humans at the center, um, you know, we start to think of ourselves at the center, especially in this liberal uh, economic uh, way of thinking that we have, that we are humans, we're the individual, that's really important, we got to nurture the individual. But if we think about us in terms of parts and systems, it, it's, it's this idea that, yes, human-centered is fantastic, it's great, we need to think about humans, and that's great, but it's also something that can emerge into something bigger. Mm. Our community, society, humans, not just as individuals, but as a, as, a, as a community, but also the living world, also the animal world, the mammals, the plants, the universe, the earth, 
we, we can't exist independent of it. Mm. Um, just like our bodies are made of cells that make us human, then we as humans are part of what I call the bio collective, which is everything that's living that has a collective interest in the healthfulness of the planet. Mm. And so we need to move beyond this idea of humans and also consider our relationship with the natural world because we have the same interest. And we need to think about how we might not be the apex um, uh, species and that animals also have, um, you know, they also have consciousness. They also have feelings, also have emotions. Plants also have consciousness mm -hmm. in the sense that it's a very strange form of consciousness where they help each other uh, pass on nutrients. Um, if, if one plant gets, gets a little bit less than the other. Um, if, you, if you take, for instance, um, mold, of all things, you put mm. mold in a maze, you put maize at the end of, uh, or food at the end of, uh, of the maze, the mold will, well, the slime, whatever it is, it will find its way to that part of, of mold food. Wow. And so urban planners have used this to figure out because they're so efficient in finding that urban planners have looked at how they've done it, how they've gone from point A to point B in order to do urban planning. So again, it's just this idea that we need to think beyond just the human. Wow, that's so, that's brilliant, Benjamin. Oh my goodness. It seems to me this, one of the challenges we have in this, by making, by centralizing kind of the scientific method, which has brought us an incredible amount of prosperity and new technology um, and increased life, you know, and, you know, life outcomes in so many positive ways. Um, you know, Stephen Pinker writes about this and of course, you know, kind of the kind of optimist view. What, what have we lost in, in that, you know, both you and I are educators, you know, we think a lot about systems and about institutions and about how we design intentionally those so that, we, you know, the human beings, but beyond can also thrive within them. What have we lost in this, in this kind of progress paradigm, uh, growth paradigm potentially, um, where we, we see things as separate. We don't think system systemically or ecologically, um, you know, and the ec economics is a great example of that with, you know, externalities, for example, things that are supposedly not influenced by business activity. Yeah, what's your reflection on that? And, and there's so much that we've gained and so much that we've lost. So the Steven Pinker idea of this, this optimism of, of what humanism has brought uh, is interesting, but it's also clearly we are in a situation where not just beyond, you know, climate disruption, which is the most obvious one, but the socioeconomic injustices that are there. Uh, throughout the world. I mean, everything that happened in, in the United States and across the world uh, last year and this year, um, mm -hmm. that, that it's all the same. It's all part of the same idea of putting a me first as a human, me, 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 um, this, this individualism. And I think that that does come from um, this science in many ways, this, again, this idea of separating reason and, and our bodies, our emotions, um, and, and I don't want to use the word spiritual because that, again, is very value um, heavy, but, but this idea of connection with one another. Mm. Um, so, so what we lose is, I mean, traditional ways. So I, I'm not, I don't come from an indigenous, uh, indigenous background. I don't come from anything like that, but I appreciate the fact that there's certain wisdoms that, that have been lost. Uh, for instance, if we look at the way we treat the soil, um, science, you know, you're an agronomist, you look at the soil, you look at the nutrients and so forth, but the traditional ways can probably pick up the, 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 the soil and, and understand it without having education or science to, to, to know if it needs to be 
um, uh, nourished in different ways. So we lose that, that aspect, mm. but, but more to the point, it's this tension between progress and tradition that really is problematic because we see progress as a good thing. We see it as we are constantly changing and we need to change in order to have the world be better without respecting some of the traditions that really um, uh, are important. And if you take it a step further, this is what drives cultural and military imperialism. hundred years ago, uh, something like that, you know, when, when the Europeans went into Africa, not all of them wanted to do bad and conquer. Many of the, uh, of the, of the imperialists wanted to spread uh, civilization as they saw it to uh, the world in, in Africa and in Asia. And that's what the French called it. They called it the mission civilisatrice, the civilizing mission. Wow. Teach uh, the, 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 the natives, as, as they're called, to, to brush their teeth, to use soap, to have medicine. A lot of it was seen as a good thing. So when we have this tension between progress and tradition, where progress is seen as better than tradition, mm-hmm. we were left in a position where, um, well, we have a consumerist, hyper-consumerist society, yeah. planet's in danger, social tension, we're dominated by social media. Yeah. That's what we lost. We lost connections with everything else. Mm. Oh my gosh. What's, what's required in the redesign of this world, Benjamin? In, in that case, you know, it, it, to me, it seems mental models are the driver of so many of these behaviors, you know, as we've already unpacked. So what's beyond somehow clicking our fingers and shifting the, the view to one that is far more open and ecological. And I mean that in both the structural sense as well as the organic sense. Uh, you know, what can we do about this? I'm not, I'm not sure if we can do anything as much as maybe we might have to be subjected. Um, I, I'm not sure what the answer is to this. So I want to preface everything by saying that, you know, in the world in which we live, we are so, uh, we're so tied to this notion that we have to have the answers. We have mm. to know things. And that credibility is based on, you know, uh, how much education someone has or how much they're knowledgeable. But I don't really espouse that view because I don't think it moves us as a collective, once again, into moving forward. Mm. So um, I'm okay with putting things out there that I'm not really sure about, that I have a little bit of maybe doubt on. Mm. Um, I think Voltaire said something like, doubt is uncomfortable, but certainty is absurd. (laughs) Um, And, you know, uh, know, let's put things out there. We're not entirely sure, but we're going to test our mettle. And if somebody, you know, challenges me, fantastic. I look forward to it because it's going to move my thinking. So Everything I say is, is, is not based out of certainty, but based out of, a, of a, just a emotion a lot of times, but also just a passion. But um, so what we lose, um, sorry, what, what we need to do is, is, um, is, is start to really maybe be subjected to some of the crises that are there. It's going to get to a point where we're going to have to change. And that's why we're having these conversations now about education, why COVID has accelerated things. But if you look at the way revolutions have happened throughout history, it's always been an elite that started it, and then some kind of crisis has led to change. The elite during the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, and even if we move beyond um, to other um, aspects of, uh, of, of, of revolution, like the gender revolution, you could say that an uh, intellectual elite started to talk about feminist um, uh, ideals, and that the crisis has been uh, the influx of consumerism uh, and, and, the, and, and, and bringing in um, uh, you know, different tools within the home that, that has liberated that. So there's a subjective and objective conditions that lead to that. 
All we can do is have conversations and push ourselves. Mm. That's all we can do. And unfortunately, these things are going to take a lot of time and we might not have the time. Yeah. Well, it seems both really um, empowering and also somewhat um, disempowering at the same time, Benjamin. You know, that, that view, I, I really love, I love your reflections on the need for curiosity, not certainty. You know, and that, I mean, can any of us be certain about anything right now? The map continually changes so fast uh, in this complex, adaptive world. Uh, I also am taken by this idea of just questions. You know, I find more and more, even though what part of our psychology seeks is the simple solution, like just give me the, give me the answer, like design the product or the program that solves it. It seems to me that, you know, we have to do so much more time on the problem finding and the scoping work um, to really understand a problem before we can even get close to thinking, oh, great, we're going to create a solution. I mean, I think everyone's got a solution, but is it, are we, have, are we even in the, on the right highway? <laughs> are we on the right path as opposed to having to move sideways somewhat? Um, I want to take us into the world of institutions. Like, obviously, like everything else in modern society, they've been designed within a current paradigm, be they you know, compulsory schooling um, as a movement, um, the modern workplace, for example, you know, uh, and so many of these things have been disrupted, as we were talking earlier, by COVID, moving into you know, emergency remote teaching or blended teaching. What is... What's your reflection on the role of an institution, like the modern institution and the future institution? Like how do schools, for example, and universities and workplaces that need to focus more not just on all the dimensions of what make us human, but actually on where they are and their impact you know, environmentally, socially, in terms of governance as well. What's, what's your reflection on where institutions go from here, their role? Are they required? Do we move to like a hyper-localized approach instead? You know, what do you think the trend could be from here? It's, it's a very good question. And I don't have the answer to that because I don't have um, all the, the, the crystal balls to, to, help me, to help me move forward with that, as none of us do. And, and I guess this is where, where, we, where we go back to this idea of, you know, let's just put ideas out there and then see, see what happens to them rather than, yeah. than being entrenched in opinion. Um, you know, school itself is, is, is a fiction. It, it doesn't actually exist outside of the social constructs that we've created. Um, 200 years ago, there weren't schools. And why did schools emerge? Well, for various reasons. Once to get kids, of course, into the factories and teach them a little bit about uh, biology if they're on a farm or a little bit about reading, but also to get kids off the street. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the... Uh, the, the schools in, in, in England have just been that. The, um, so, 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 you know, and, and of course in France, it's about, you know, uh, getting rid of, of the idea of, of monarchism and, and, um, and, 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 you know, espouse, having people espouse kids, espouse republicanism. So, so there were, mm. there are social constructs that create schools. Yeah. So in, in that sense, they, they exist as part of, of where we are as a society and the world of work as well. And they exist in terms of we are as a society. And now we have a situation where a lot of companies uh, even in investment banking, have sustainability uh, as part of a, of, of a movement, right? They, they have somebody who sits at the table who's a representative of sustainability in the environment. I have very big doubts about how that will turn out because I don't know of many industries or corporations that have been able to self-regulate mm. and to do what's good, using quotes, for for a for society. And even if you think about it, this idea of the commons is antithetical to 
uh, certain um, institutions, particularly those that monetize, because the commons mm. is everything that cannot be monetized. Yeah. So, you know, ha- have, have oil and gas companies been able to self-regulate? Have, have LinkedIn, uh, which I'm very active on, by the way, so I realize the irony <laughs> here, but have LinkedIn and Twitter um, been able to self-regulate in terms of what they've been able to do? I really doubt that. I think um, even even governments, uh, you know, what's going on with, with, with the Paris Accords? Is anybody mm. following that? The SDGs that everybody talks about, I mean, I think they're so incredibly neoliberal in, in aspects and people think that it's fantastic for the environment. But you look at quality of education in terms of the goals, the sustainable mm. development goals, quality of education, I think it's the fourth one. Yeah, it is. Nature, the word nature doesn't come up once, not once. The word uh, environment only comes up when they talk about, I think, um, uh, having a sustainable uh, lifestyle environment. And when I think of lifestyle, I think shopping. Um, the, so, but what does come out is we need to prepare kids for you know, being uh, the world of work and being able to integrate and all that. It's so incredibly neoliberal. So I don't see any structure that we have that's going to take us further. I just, I just don't see it. And that's why we may run out of time, but it will take time. Mm. I feel like I need to pause after every one of your answers, Benjamin. There's so many things to consider in all of that. I mean, the idea of the school as a social construct is really, really powerful. There's no doubt about that. I wonder about incentives as something that we should look carefully at, you know, particularly around, I mean, I, I've become increasingly fascinated as, a, as an amateur like in, the, in the sense of I'm interested and I love economics. And of course, I'm not an economist um, by any formal training. And wouldn't propose to be one. But, you know, there's this, I think it's Attenborough, at least it's attributed to him, which, you know, many things are. But, you know, anyone that thinks you can have infinite growth in a finite world is either a madman or an economist. And, you know, I've got to be, I feel like my economist friends, you know, get a bad rap. You know, they're wonderful people. Uh, there's something about the field, the way that we think about the division of our world that I think is interesting and the way that we incentivize. You know, companies that set out with a positive mission, you know, even the way they're structured with fiduciary responsibilities can be sued for not following a particular incentive line. So I I really think there's something that needs to shift significantly in that, like an evolution of, certainly an evolution of market-based capitalism, um, if we are going to get ourselves out of this. Because you, you effectively need to, in some cases, take a financial hit to do good, you know, in terms of social and environmental, although that dichotomy does seem to be breaking down, but perhaps not as quickly and powerfully as it otherwise could be, um, as much as we celebrate that movement. What do you think about incentives? You know, because again, they're driven, schools are driven by incentives as well, universities, you know, our world is driven by this external incentivization, um, be it, you know, and and most of that is financial capital. Um, Yeah, what's your, again, there's an enormous topic, but what are some of the questions that you ask um, and some of the interesting things and th- threads we can follow? And this is where this idea of moving beyond humanism might uh, shed some light, this idea of fractals, of hierarchy. If we are thinking about incentives on an individual level, then we're going to promote individual thinking and, and, and very much a self-driven um, uh, s- systems. Mm. But there's no reason that we can't emerge into a more... Um, 
community a more and by community it could also be a profit seeking community you know community doesn't have to be all for good it's just something that, that, that gathers people around a common cause mm. but if we if we think about it in, in terms of bigger ideas then we can think about community incentives we can think about our incentives yeah. to be part of society and in the world um, th- that's just going beyond the human, and, and by human, I mean the individual, mm-hmm. and maybe thinking about ourselves as, as a category of humans, and then again, towards living beings. So we have to rethink incentives, which are important uh, in, in more of a social slash collective aspect. And that would really help us go forward. So companies that are driven and have these, these fantastic mission statements and, and, and want to do good and, and, and still make some money off it, you know, that's probably fantastic. At least that's a, that's a better step than trying to rape and pillage the earth. But it does come from this idea that we all gain together. Um, and, and that's going to be very important, but we have to see beyond ourselves. And this is why I talk a lot about this idea of needing to go beyond student-centered learning. Um, I, I, I think student-centered learning is, is very much a, a, a great step away from teacher-centered learning, yeah. but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Because student-centered learning, I worry that it does promote this individualism. And maybe we need to think about a model where we think about the tensions between the collective and the individual and mediate those tensions. Mm. And so thinking about how schools should work towards contribution, thinking about contribution towards other uh, beings towards a community and, and have that be as a collective effort, the incentive. Um, uh, you, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on here, but it all comes back to the same thing of let's go beyond ourselves and see what mm-hmm. makes us um, uh, similar rather than individualized and atomized. It, I, this conversation really reminds me of some of the work of um, Maslow, actually, Avram Maslow and, and, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which, I discovered recently, um, you know, the pyramid was actually put together by a management consultant, not by Maslow himself. So it's quite interesting. But of course, you know, later in his life, he was really interested in discussing, and you would call it humanist psychology, I'd imagine, um, would be the category. But the idea of of transcendence, it wasn't about self-actualization, really. That was not the pinnacle. That was actually not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was self-transcendence, i.e. And this kind of idea of the whole on, as you keep on talking, right? It's like, how can you be whole within yourself, but also part of something larger, transcending the self. And I mean, there are so many beautiful examples of this happening in the world right now and from history where people are coming together and acting as a community, you know, and in some ways, you know, navigating that tension between the self and between the collective. Um, And it's just seemingly to me continually comes back to mindset. How do we feel about ourselves? How do we feel about our role? Uh, you know, do we feel connected? How socially connected do you feel right now? It's a critical question for us all to ask ourselves, particularly with the pandemic's impacts ongoing, um, you know, and the need to be resilient, although resilience is not, that's the kind of wrong question to ask. You know, it's like, how do we, how do we shift towards something more powerful? So I, I suppose what I'm saying is this idea of transcendence, again, which seems, can see a bit, seem a bit woo-woo, but it really just seems to me you know, understanding who you are in the world and then who you are with others in the world, you know, and then who you are with all living things in the world. You know, that kind of idea of moving in that particular um, way of thinking. How, do we, how might we 
Benjamin, design, design experiences for that to be the case. Because you're right, student-centered learning is about the student and them, you know, great, having their own agency and autonomy and being able to make their own choices and feel powerful in the world, you know, to, to live a life they love and to, you know, work in, into the future. And how do we also create this commons, this community, sustain it? Um, what, what do you offer? Uh, what are your, your ponderings on that? And, and there's a lot of threads there as well. Um, I'll, just, I'll just put some out there and, and, and tug on which one you know, that might, might be most interesting. But, but even if you look at it from, it's not woo at all. Scientifically, quantum physics, going back to this, and again, I'm talking about it on a very layman's level, but as far as I understand, uh, the idea of entanglement, where you can have two particles that are uh, light years apart acting in the same way because they are connected somehow and we don't understand how, means that from a, from a scientific point of view, there is such a thing as, as connection between things that are, that are uh, physically separate. Ants themselves, one ant in itself, not much, not very smart, but you have a bunch of ants together and they can build bridges out of, out of other ants. I mean, they're, they're, they're fantastically <laughs> intelligent as a, as a, as a yeah. together. Um, so, so there's something there, I think, scientifically, uh, biologically. The other thing is that um, really we, we've all felt this, this joy, this happiness in, in, in being part of a collective. Every one uh, of your listeners, I'm sure, has been to a concert mm. where the entire crowd just is moved by a wave or singing from music. Mm. Um, if you hear uh, at a football stadium, a soccer stadium, uh, fans chanting, 55, 65,000 fans chanting for their club. Yeah. That is also moving together. And, and, and that emotion that you feel at the bottom of your gut, if you're passionate about it, that is because of a collective effort. So everyone's felt that. So it is within us. And I think that this idea that it doesn't happen is where reason gets in the way of, um, of, of what is really a very primordial sense of, of, of community. And this idea of, of student-centered learning, and again, I'm throwing a lot of threads here, mm. um, you know, and, and, and autonomy and agency is fantastic in many ways, but it comes at a cost. And it comes at a cost, again, of these traditions that we're losing mm. of this idea that in some communities, it's more about society, sorry, it's more about um, the way things are done as a collective and, 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 and looking out for one another than it is about each person having autonomy. It's a very Western way of thinking. And I use the word Western in full knowledge that Western is itself a very ethnocentric uh, uh, word to use, uh, going back to Edward Said's Orientalism. So, so mm. th there's, there's things about agency and autonomy and all that that really um, uh, trample on old traditional ways. So I'm answering your questions in many different ways, mm. but I think that mm. everyone knows what it means to be part of a collective and everyone yeah. knows deep inside that they have the same interests as each other. And that is, if nothing else, the fact that we don't want the planet to just, you know, burn out. Yeah. It seems like the path forward, <laughs> the path forward is something that enables all of us to have a sense of belonging. You know, the, it's, it's like that I'm so interested in this idea of how do we, for example, not just tolerate diversity. And I, I, I really am not a fan of tolerance, you know, because I think it has such a, again, it's so value heavy of this is an inconvenient. In fact, this is not what I want at all. You know, how do we celebrate diversity and, and in all its forms, cultural, linguistic, biological? Uh, but then also, how do we get to this point where we celebrate commonality? 
and universality. And this is the idea, and I think we can do this within the, I think this is the humanist movement in some ways. It's, yes, we want to celebrate the beautiful diversity that makes you know, humankind what it is. And then also, you know, at, at some point, realize that we're all the same. And that, that idea, I mean, this is, the, I think, the world of consciousness and quantum field is really this. I mean, more, all spiritual traditions in some ways, kind of, if you transcend them, try to explore this idea powerfully. And so that's just, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty insightful. I mean, it's pretty deep stuff to kind of think about that. But I, I love the, fo- like, even the sporting analogy of being, being lost in an, a sense of awe, a sense of kind of commonality, seems to be the way that, people shift internally. You know, the orientation then doesn't, moves from being kind of inward and zero sum towards an outward and an abundance. Um, or as a colleague of mine, Ash Buchanan writes, you know, from the growth mindset movement, which is great and hyper-individualistic, to a benefit mindset or a generous mindset, as we might say, which is, well, yes, it's all well and good to get smarter yourself, but how do we collectively rise all boats? Um, I mean, those, those, I think really deeply about these things. And I, I think some of, the, some of the processes that exist around design are really, really awesome. You know, human-centered design, but how we move that to humanity-centered design and then how we move that to kind of, well, your term, bio-collective-centered design. I mean, I think that's, that's the bit. It's like everything is actually all interrelated. And, you know, the cutting edge of science is really showing this to us. So, and, and, yeah. and I think this idea that you, you brought up about diversity is, is perfect. And, and that illustrates exactly where we need to be. This idea that we need to celebrate diversity, fantastic. As individuals, as a community or communities, fantastic. Mm. What makes us uh, uh, different makes us more rich. But we have to, again, emerge into what brings us together. Mm. It doesn't serve anyone any good to have different communities uh, isolated in a city uh, and, and that all have their own ways of celebrating themselves. It, 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 it doesn't do any good. And it has led to a lot of tension. Yeah. But if we can have our diversity and, and celebrate that, but also see that we have common interests in safe streets, in beautiful gardens, mm. in uh, you know, air that we can breathe, then that brings us together. And we can have it both ways. It's not either or. And this idea of, of having it be human-centered and then, you know, bi-collectively centered, we can do that as well if we understand that we're part of a system. We're mm-hmm. parts and we are the system in itself. But we only exist as a result of the system. We don't make the system. We exist because the system brings us, you know, it, it gives us who we are. And this goes back to your idea of, of institutions, that institutions exist within a system. And, and this idea of autonomy and agency is, is also a little bit misleading because we only exist within the society and the system in which we, 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 we live and breathe. So we can't, you know, we have to resolve these tensions. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, if mm. you look at uh, constructivist ideas that, you know, uh, uh, learners only uh, learn because they make meaning themselves, right? Uh, I mean, that's, uh, I'm, mm. I'm simplifying it to, to, to a crude degree, but, but we make meaning out of our experiences and that's how we learn. Mm. Yes. But the meaning that we make exists within the interactions, the dynamic interactions of our society. And that's why different people in different parts of the world 
have different values. Yeah. That's why somebody in England and somebody in, in China will have different values, not because they've chosen to make meaning out of themselves and, oh, it just so happens that, you know, millions and millions of people have chosen to make the same meaning. It's because of the values of society. So there's also, I don't know if it's a tension, but, but there's a dynamic there that we don't always appreciate. So that's why we can move on beyond the human because we, we, we naturally live, but we don't necessarily recognize it in a society as part mm. of a system. And I'll give you one more thing. Yeah. Going back to, to, to um, uh, you know, social, social emotional learning, um, you know, we talked a little bit before we hit record about not having these, these uh, schools that, that based on what you know, show me what you know. What if we had a school where all assessment, using the word loosely, was based on how kind we can be? Just kindness. Think about everything. Kindness is a great thing because it is the only thing that no matter who you are, where you are, socioeconomic, about everybody can be kind. It is the great leveler. Yeah. And to be kind, you have to act. And you, to, in order to act, you have to have your actions backed up by understandings of so much to be kind. You can be naturally kind. It could be intuition. But there's also other ways to be kind. To be kind to the earth, to be kind to uh, a certain uh, ethnic group, to, to be kind to, um, you know, I don't know, to oneself and in the way we nurture our own learning. What if kindness was the great assessor and how we contribute, as, uh, as Joanne McKechn says, mm. um, your, your good friend, contribute to the world. And that's it. And we are only assessed on kindness. Now, we could have different levels of that. And the acts in themselves could be more and more sophisticated. But ultimately, the final thing is, how kind are you? I think it really would pull, well, it would shift the whole in incentives, wouldn't it? It would change sure. not just what we were talking about, but how we felt, which is, a, you know, I think, a key, well, it's a key part of how, how we live, how we create a, a flourishing world, a thriving world, to be honest, is this convergence. It's all, for me, Benjamin, uh, the more that I do this work, it's just more and more Venn diagrams it's not spreadsheets. It's you know, how do we move from a spreadsheet to a Venn diagram, realizing that those lines are not true separation at all. <laughs> no. Everything interacts with everything else. And that's complex. And that's why it can't, we can't be certain, but we absolutely can seek clarity at the very least um, and curiosity. But I, I'm so taken by this idea of kindness. And it is something that really is rooted in social emotional learning movements. Um, well, in the field of social emotional learning, but also of positive psychology and positive education, on the other hand, I mean, all really is about what are the, what are the deep characteristics of our contribution, our, our humanity uh, that we should aspire to. I mean, it goes all the way back from, from the West, you know, to, um, oh, yeah, to the, the Greeks and, you know, and beyond, you know, really about character education, you know. Um, so... Take us as we get as we close out because this is a fab fabulous conversation. As we take out, what is? I'd love to know what are the questions that that are that you're asking yourself in your own inquiry at the moment. Like, what are the you know really the framings that you're most interested in trying to discover uh, new depths? 
I, I think the questions that I have are about questions and whether or not <laughs> very, you know, very meta, it, Benjamin. But yeah, of course, of course, the fractal. But, yeah. but, I, but, but I say this, I say this because um, I, I go back to the original point that we should always have more questions than we have answers, mm. uh, because that that just driven by our curiosity. And going back, I'm thinking a lot about you know this reductionist way that we have in schools of trying to break everything down. Um, so you know it's how you know you look at a report card um, throughout the world um, they're, they're going to be laid out the same way your score in literacy your score in math probably even broken down to like your ability to use commas and we, we break the individual down that way which i don't think is very useful again if we think about how we interact as a collective mm. and so the questions that i have are can we construct a system of learning that is intergenerational because at the end of the day you know uh we're going to have to reinvent ourselves or not us. Cause you know, we're probably past the, our sell by date, but, but hmm. um, uh, our, 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 the kids who are in school now will have to reinvent themselves three, four times. So they'll always have to learn and learn and learn. Hmm. But can we have a system where instead of it's show me what, you know, it's show me the questions that you have or guide me through the questions that you have. And we, again, assess people. And, and I don't, I hate the word assessment, but we, 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 we value the questions rather than the answers because the answers will never be complete. I am so irate as a historian that we have, and, and, and this is as, a, as, a, as a, uh, that we have exams where we ask kids in 45 minutes to answer a complex historical question because it is an insult to uh, the, the, the profession of historian that you can condense, you know, why did the Russians, uh, why did the Reds, you know, again, I go back to the example, why did the Reds, uh, win the Russian civil war that you can, you can write that in 45 minutes. It's so ridiculous because there's so much more complex. So it's, it's an insult, but anyways, so, hmm. so can we have more questions than, than answers? Because that would show us a more curious world that would show yeah. us a world in which we're always learning. And again, going back to kindness, how can we be more kind? How can we figure out ways to be more kind? So those are the things that I'm, that I'm really interested in because it would require such a fundamental shift that I just, I don't know what the next, what the next step is, you know? So we just kind of walk around in the dark, hoping that we're going the right way and having conversations like this about where to go. Um, you know, I, I, it's, 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 it's one where I think we should need to embrace and enjoy the uncertainty um, yeah. because it's nourishing and it's what's going to let our egos at the door. And that's yeah. going to be very important too. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm really taken by this. Well, I'm taken by so much of our conversation. It's brilliant. Um, a radical humility, I think, is what enables us to ask more questions. And, of course, we have to overcome the expert paradox as well when that happens, mm -hmm. you know, as, te as educators and teachers. And people are the paid for what we know. It's, you know, we have to then choose humility all the time. Um, and, you know, posing questions is so... I think I think that's the path forward. It's just to keep posing ever deeper and more well-formed questions that will get us towards some of the pieces of the solution that that we might need. Um, Benjamin, this has been such a far-ranging and delightful conversation. I'd love you to leave us all with a, a take-home message. Um, <laughs> good luck piecing that together from our conversation. But what what do you want to? What do you want the sticky piece to be from, you know, all of the ground that we've covered today? 
And, and going with your idea of, uh, of uh, just, just what you picked up on, I think this idea of, of, yeah, of radical humility is, is so incredibly important. And um, a take-home message would probably put me in a situation of trying to um, you know, tell people and, and <laughs> what, what I'm thinking. So it goes contrary to that. Um, uh, so, so I, I guess the only thing that I'm trying to work on myself, and and I invite other people to, uh, you know, build this this path. Maybe work with me. I can work with them. Whatever it might be, uh, we can do it together. Shift thinking. It's just that this idea that um, this this idea of expertise that we have to have the answers. When the answers are malleable, they change. We should change our minds all the time. We should propose things. We should have conversations without, um, uh, you know, being dug into our convictions. That, that to me is the only path forward in terms of being able to be kind by having that humility and by also our own intellectual growth. Um, and, and I really hope that we can just understand that this idea of expert comes from, again, the scientific enlightenment notion that some people know and some people don't, uh, and that we all have to be experts in things. And, and that is, uh, and this is probably for another conversation, but in my mind, that's a threat to democracy, this idea that you have to be an expert in everything you know. It, it perpetuates a meritocratic system, which is the last form of discrimination. The paper that says that I went to such and such school makes me better than you. Um, mm. So, you know, let's, let's, Keep asking questions, and we can always learn from everybody's story. Everybody's got a story, and and it sounds very uh, again woo woo or fortune cookie esque, but but I'll take it. I'll take that. Yeah, Benjamin Freud, what a delightful conversation! Thank you for joining us for the podcast today. Thank you so much, Luca. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.